Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Happy Father's Day. Hey, I, I love Father's Day because here's the deal. Like, it doesn't matter, like, it doesn't matter how good of a father we are as men. Like, we think we're amazing fathers, right? Like, we're, we're so good. That's, that's the biggest difference between men and women, I think, is this. Is when you put a, a woman in front of a mirror, she, she can be the most beautiful woman that has ever existed. And she's looking at, like, my, my teeth aren't white enough. Like, like my, my hairline's a little too high. Like, I wish I could lose a little couple. But you put, like, the nastiest looking dude in front of the mirror. He's just like, I look amazing. <laughs> I'm so good. So happy Father's Day to all fathers. Right? Like we look awesome. So happy Father's Day to everybody. Um, it's the greatest joy of my life to be a dad. Man, I, I, uh, I really enjoy being a dad. It's, uh, it's really, it's fun. And uh, so I'm excited about it. I, I think uh, you know, today I was debating on what to speak about and, and um, kind of going back and forth between a few things. And, um, and one of the things I just wanted to talk about, maybe just kind of briefly mention it, is this, is that I think in the American church, we need a, a revival of manliness. Uh, here's the deal. Like, our, our culture is very, uh, it, it's really redefining a lot of things, and the church is allowing that to happen. 60, 60% of American Christians are female. Which, that should say something, that should say something to you about the American church. That the American church is, is somehow not attractive to men. And, and I really think it's because we've, we've created this place where the idea of manliness is somehow not congruent with what's going on in the church. <clears throat> I remember I used to go, to, I used to visit this church in Union, Union City, California. And I'd go in and... Uh, and I would get a headache every time I went there. It's a big auditorium, big church, big choir. And uh, I remember I get a headache every time I went to this church because the entire building was pink. The walls, the ceiling, the carpet, like everything was pink. And I, 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 I attribute it to uh, the pink uh, in the room that I got a headache. I don't know that that's why. But I do know this, that, that it, is, uh, it is good for men to be manly. And I also want to say this, men... Being a man of God does not mean that you get rid of the aggression, the strength that is part of your nature. Like, that strong manliness that you are, that is a godly thing that he placed inside of you. You just need to learn how to use it for the things of God. Let me say it like this. Like, when we hear the fruit of the Spirit, sometimes we as men, we think like, oh, that's not really who I, like, gentleness, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know that I'm the most gentle person. Like, I wish I was more gentle. I wish I was more, like, soft, but I'm not. And so I think, oh, then, 
then how in the world can I be a godly person because I'm not a gentle person? The Bible says it this way. It says, a, a gentle answer turns away anger, right? It says, a, a, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's this idea, it's this idea that gentleness is, is important in the kingdom of God, but typically as men, we don't really embody that. And we're like, what in the world? What? I don't think I'm a gentle person. Listen, listen I want to tell you something. The Greek word that is used for gentle all throughout the New Testament is used in Greek literature at the same contemporary Greek literature. That same word is used to describe a broken horse. Not a horse that's broken, but a horse that's broke. It's used to describe a powerful animal that still has incredible range of motion and power. It's just been calmed by a trainer. I want, to, I want to tell you in the room, if you feel like, man, I don't know how I can, how I can exhibit like, gentleness as a fruit. Like, listen, it doesn't mean you become weaker. It simply means that you learn the voice of the trainer. That's all it means. Um, it's, it's, that's really all it means. And, you know, when we first moved here uh, to Idaho, I'm, I'm from Alaska. Now, my family is from Idaho. They homesteaded in Kimberly, Idaho, Twin Falls area back in like the late 20s. And, um, but I was always raised in Alaska, and um, when we first moved here, I remember the very first Sunday, we were at church, and uh, my, my oldest son walked into church, and there were several men standing around with cowboy hats on, and my, dad, my, my son came up to me, he's like, Dad, he's like, now that I live in Idaho, can I get a costume like that? <laughs> I was like, I love you, buddy, but I don't think that's a costume, like, like you're in Idaho now, right? This Alaskan boy, like in Alaska, if, or even in northern Canada where I also lived, like a cowboy hat, that's a costume. You know, that's something people do like for fun on Halloween, just like you dress like a fireman. But in Idaho, I'm pretty sure it's real, right? It's a real, because we have real cowboys and we've got real horses. Anybody like, anybody like horses? Yeah, they're pretty cool, pretty cool animals. One of my favorite ideas of a horse is just the American Mustang. You know what I mean? Just that wild we got some pictures of, here we go, just some wild horse. That's actually just an incredible beast. These wild animals with immense amount of power. They're just, they're, they're truly one of the fastest creatures on our continent. They're one of the most powerful animals. They, they, they roam in, in herds and they, they, they evade capture. They're just crazy animals. They, they don't... Predators, they can outrun their predators. They can destroy their predators. They're just a ridiculous animal, just absolutely amazing. But I think in a lot of ways, the spirit of the Mustang, where, where freedom is the greatest goal, where running unfettered is the greatest purpose in life, I think that embodies what we see in our culture today. That really, like, we, we, we want to be strong, we want to be powerful, magnificent beings that, that run uninhibited, just, just the, the, the icon of, of being able to choose and make decisions and run unencumbered by, by anyone else's choice or decisions or, or whatever it might be. That's, that's who we are. 
And we do the same thing towards God, don't we? So many times we want to run with, with the instincts of our lives after the passions and desires of our life. Just incredible potential in these animals, in, incredible opportunity in these animals. But because their one ambition is to run free, they're never able to experience the greatest potential that lies within them. The American Mustang. There was a, a horse trainer. His name was Monty Roberts, and he, he really revolutionized the way we train horses. He, uh, back in that time when people would train horses, it was very much a matter of let's, let's get this animal to its will to break under the strength of a trainer. Let's, let's make this animal humbled to the point where it finally does what we're telling it to do. Lot, lots of whips and lots of, lots of aggression, lots of just this, this overpowering domination of an animal to somehow get this a magnificent animal to surrender. And Monty Roberts, he said, there's got to be a better way. And he began to study the American Mustang, this, this wild creature that, that embodies our culture. And as he watched the, the American Mustang, he, he saw that these animals actually, they communicate with each other. They have patterns of behavior and, um, and body language that, that communicate back and forth. And people began calling him the horse whisperer because he could break a horse. He could get a horse uh, trained without ever cracking a whip at it, without ever beating the animal. He could, he could just use body language to get this animal to finally come under his influence. I want you to know that's God's purpose for you today. God's purpose for you is to bring the fruit of gentleness into your life. The fruit of gentleness does not look like you're super passive and have no strength and you don't have a voice and you're just, you're just, just, we're just gonna wash over your personality. That's not what it is. It's like an animal that is incredibly powerful, but it is still listening to the voice of the trainer. And, and the way we get there is a process. And today, I, I really, this summer, I really want to just kind of teach some basic fundamental discipleship concepts here. The, the, the way we get to this place where, where, we, where we're able to surrender to God, to, to really have the fruit of gentleness in our life, the way we get there. <clears throat> It's a process. If you got saved last month, that's great, but I promise you, it's a process. You got saved five years ago, you're still thinking, that eh, is still a process. You got saved 15 years ago, and you're like, I feel like I just got saved, because it's a process. Right. There's a process to everything. There's a process to making coffee, right? Most people, they, they make coffee by, uh, you know, they wake up, and they quietly get up into their kitchen and take out a Keurig cup or maybe a couple scoops of coffee, and they quietly turn on the coffee maker, Wait till his, not my brother-in-law. <clears throat> my brother-in-law, what he does is if you're sleeping at his house, at about 4.30 every morning, he's going to take his coffee grinder into your bedroom, right next to your head, and like just, just like, you know what I'm saying? There's some people that are nice and quiet and they tiptoe in the morning, not my brother-in-law, loud, just clanging around, coffee, because there's a process. You got to grind those beans to make coffee, don't you? You got, you got to. Stir that rice and, rice and vegetables to make that stir fry. You, you've got to 
everything has a process. And the process of God developing the fruit of the Spirit, specifically gentleness in our life, it looks a lot like Monty Roberts' ability to create gentleness in a horse. It's very similar. This is what the scripture says in James chapter 1. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let per perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. Everyone say mature, complete, lacking nothing. God's plan for your life isn't that you would just get saved and, and just that, that's it. No, it's God's plan for your life that you would become mature, complete, and you would lack nothing. And the way you get there is through the various trials that come into your life. They create this thing called perseverance. And he says, let perseverance have its work in your life. How many of us, when we encounter an obstacle, encounter a difficult season, encounter frustration, we quickly go to this place of God must not have my back. God must be against me. He, he must not be for me because life is hard. So what we do is we try to get away from the difficulty. We try to get away from the problem. And this passage says, let perseverance do its job. Because perseverance's job is to make you mature, complete, lacking nothing. Let me give you an example. This is a passage I really love to use when I, when I talk about this idea of, of how God develops the fruit of gentleness in our life. Remember, gentleness is not passivity. It's your potential just being reined in is all it is. It's being surrendered to the leader, surrendered to the Lord. Still your strong personality, still your brilliant mind, still your, your drive and, 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 and motivation, but the Lord's leading. And here's how he gets us there. It says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, and this is a whole other message. We could get real preachy on this one. Ah! He, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he says to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is asking, he said, who do you say that I am? Can you see me yet, is what he's asking. Can you recognize who I am yet? Jesus isn't interested in what the books say he is. He's not interested in what your news agency says he is. Not interested in what your professor in college says he is. 
not interested in what the preacher behind the pulpit says he is. He's interested in what you say he is. This is one of the very first things Monty Roberts learned about horses. In order to, to get a, a wild, powerful animal like a, like a Mustang to, to, to allow a human to lead it, the very first thing he would do is he would bring it into uh, a, a pen, a circle pen. Anybody ever see one of these pens, yeah. a horse training pen? And what happens when you bring a wild or untrained horse into one of those pens and you allow the trainer to stand in the pen? The horse does what it's done its entire life is what happens. It runs. The horse, the untrained horse, that unbroken horse for its entire life has run from every, everything that seemed like a threat. It has run from everything that seemed to apply pressure to its life. Its main motive and main goal is freedom. Its main goal is I am powerful and, and nothing can subdue me. And so when you put a trainer in the middle of a pen, that wild horse just begins to run circles in the pen over and over and over and over. And what you'll see is sometimes this will, this will go on for days. Every time the trainer goes in the pen with the horse, he doesn't have to teach the horse how to run. The horse knows how to run. But what he's got to do is teach the horse that when pressure is applied to his life, he needs to look to the trainer. That horse is running based on its instincts, running, attempting to run away from the trainer the entire time. He's running away from the very one who is feeding him. He's running away from the very one who will soon bathe him. He's running away from the one that will water him. He doesn't realize that everything he needs is right there in the center of the ring, but because he's running after the, the, the freedom, he's running after the pleasure, he's running after the opportunities in life that don't apply any restrictions... But he doesn't realize he's in, a, he's in a pin. And the trainer will apply little bits of pressure until he'll give pressure and then release it. Pressure and release. And what he's looking for, the first sign that that horse is trainable, is that when he applies pressure, at some point, it may be in the first couple days, it may be in a week, it may be a month from now. But at some point, that horse, when he applies pressure and then releases it, that horse is going to stop. And it's going to look at the trainer in the middle of the room. Because for weeks, that horse has been looking away from the trainer. He's been trying to get, get away, trying to run, trying, trying to do his own thing. And all he's looking for is for that horse to stop when pressure is applied and look at the solution in the middle of the pen. This is what Jesus is doing. So many times in our life, he is asking us, he's saying, who do you say that I am? And we're running. And we're saying, I just need a little more money. And he's saying, who do you say that I am? I just need my wife to be kinder. Who do you say that I am? I just need another degree. Who do you say that I am? And we're running and we're chasing after things this world tells us will provide us success. And the entire time, he, he, he's not going to interfere. He's not trying to change our mind. He's just waiting for us to look at him and say, I need you. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life when I was running, when I was, when I was foaming at the mouth, trying to, trying to do my own agenda, and as pressure was applied, I finally looked to the Lord and said, Lord, 
You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. But he doesn't stop there with Peter. He doesn't stop with just look at me, know who I am. He goes further. He says, it says this in Matthew 16, 19. He says, I will give you the keys. So, so, so Peter, Peter looks at Jesus and Jesus says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Can you imagine God speaking directly to you saying, whatever you want to happen, I'm going to make it happen. I'm giving you the, the kind of authority that when you speak, mountains move. I, I, I'm going to change and transform your life. Everything you want, everything you need, I'm, I'm there for you. I want you to know that he's done that for you. I want you to know that if you're walking in his authority, you have that. But then what happens is Jesus then tells Peter that it's not going to turn out perfect. He says, Peter, it's, it's not going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. I, I've got to go away. Like, this is, this is not going to, I'm going to die. I'm gonna, it, it's going to be a, a crazy ride, Peter. And four verses later, so he says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He says, here's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Amazing encounter with God. And four verses later, Peter, P Peter's respond and said, you, you can't die. You can't go down this route. You, you can't do all this. Four verses later, Jesus says these words. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Ah! Can you imagine this? Peter has just been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He's been, he's been able to see the revealed Messiah. And four verses later, the revealed Messiah is saying, you're the devil. And so many of us have these sorts of encounters with God, don't we? It's like our walk with God grows in spurts. Like a couple steps forward, and then all of a sudden it feels like we go back a couple steps go forward a few steps, and then we go back a step or two. And, it's, and we feel like, man, I'm just, I'm failing him. Or, or it feels like every time I move forward, it feels like God isn't actually satisfied with what I'm offering. It, it, it feels like, it feels as though sometimes, you tell me if I'm wrong, but it feels to me like sometimes God is like, I have grace and mercy for you. I have just peace and compassion for you. Come close to me, son. And then in just a few more moments, it's like, here's a whole pile of difficulty. Enjoy that. <laughs> and let me tell you a secret. That's exactly what he's doing. But with no sarcasm. He's doing it because he is trying to pull gentleness out of your spirit. He's not trying to break you. He's not trying to crush you. He's trying to get you to recognize that he's in the center of the ring. He's good. He's pure. He's gentle. And he's trying to pull you close to him. This is, this is exactly what Monty Roberts learned with horses. 
By watching the behavior of these wild Mustangs, Monty Roberts realized that through body language, you can communicate to horses. Have you ever squared up your shoulders and done this to a dog? Have you ever done that? Because if you haven't done that, you have not lived yet. (laughs) You square up your shoulders and get in an aggressive posture towards a dog, and that dog, not sure what to expect, right? That dog, his tail might wiggle, but he's not sure. He's not sure. And then what happens is if you just turn your body to the side, this is where you're weak. In nature, this is where you're vulnerable. If you turn your body to the side, your dog will come running to you. Because you're using body language to whisper to your dog. And Monty Roberts learned the same thing about horses. And through the same exact method of, of confronting a horse, followed by come close. Confrontation, come close. Confrontation, come close. Apply pressure, and once the horse responds to pressure, release. Over and over and over again. And what happens is this. He's able to train a voice to come to his command. He's able to train a horse to be ridden without ever cracking a whip, without ever harming it, without ever beating it, by simply applying pressure and then inviting him into relationship. I'm telling you that so many times we look at the difficulties in our life and we think God has abandoned us. We think God has it out for us, that God has somehow messed things up, that, that, that God, is, God doesn't know what he's doing. And I'm telling you, he uses pressure and he also uses invitation. He invites us with his grace and his mercy, but he confronts us with his truth. It's grace and truth. It's not just grace and it's not just truth. It's this pressure and relief. Release, pressure and release, and that's how we grow in our walk with God. So when God's moving in your life and you feel the pressure and you feel the release, it's not because he's schizophrenic. It's not because he doesn't know what he's doing. It's because he cares enough about you that he doesn't want you to just be a wild stallion running off doing your own thing in life, but he has great purpose for you. He has a plan for you, and he wants to pull the best out of your life. He is the great trainer, the great horse trainer. And those things that we go through in life, sometimes we think that God is just, is just not, he's, he's, he's not being available to us. He's, he's just making me endure this thing, have some perseverance. And I want to tell you that it says, let perseverance have its work so you can be mature, complete, Lacking nothing. Have you ever felt like that horse running in circles around the stable, just, just running? It seems like you're running the same, the same path. It's just different people. You're running into the same person. You, you thought, like, if you would just change your job, you'd get into a better situation. You change your job, and the exact same personality shows up in your new job. Same problem, different face. You thought that if you just moved to Idaho, all your financial troubles would go away. Same problems. You thought if you would just get a different wife that all your problems would go away and you discovered it just made things more complicated. Because here's the deal, here's the deal. We're running this circle. 
And God's just waiting for you to look. He's applying pressure and releasing. And applying pressure and releasing. He's just waiting for you to stop and allow him to lead. We, we go through the same tests in life over and over again. Not everything is a test in life. Some things are true tragedies. That, that, uh, honestly, I, I think the greatest hope in them is the fact that the Bible says God works all things out for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. There are some things I cannot tell you that I think are the will of God at all. But there's other things that are clearly God trying to pull this, this attitude of gentleness out in us, but because we want to rule our own selves, because we want to be a, a self-made woman or a self-made man, we're constantly opposing him. I mean, think about this, like, when, when it comes to tests, in school, you, you take the tests until you pass them. Somebody's like, you can do that? Yeah, you can do the grade again. You can do, not anymore, right? Not anymore. Now everybody gets, everybody gets to pass. My son, my son uh, he's out here, but he, he thinks it's funny, so he would tell you this. At the end of school this year, he, he went into the office, and he's like, um, okay, so I just want to know what the schedule is for summer school. And they're like, uh, what do you mean? And he's like, uh, I just need to know when I need to be here. <laughs> they're like, they're like uh, Hollis, you don't have summer school. He's like, no, my last name is Yaden. Y -A look in the computer. Y-A-D-O-N. They're like, you don't have summer school. But he's like, oh, like the Lord lived. The Lord reigneth, you know. Here's the deal. You moved to Idaho and you took a driver's test. And you didn't want to tell anybody this, but you probably didn't pass it the first time. <laughs> You're like, he ain't lying. He's in the word. Because you didn't know what open range was or like what driving with cows was. And you didn't know that at four-way stops, you're supposed to just look around wide-eyed and go like this. But you're allowed to keep taking that test. It's not take it one time, you fail, you never drive again. It's you take it again, again. <laughs> you just keep taking it. You don't tell anybody you're still taking it, but you're, you're still working on it, right? Like somebody here was just like, oh, it's the cows. That's, that's the cow, it's the cow law. You, you keep taking it. And the pressures in our life are the trials. They are the, the test. What I'm saying, like the, like the diagnosis. I don't, think, I don't think sickness is God's will. In fact, I would say sickness has a spiritual root. I believe that. It's, it's part of the fall. It is, it is wicked. It is evil. But God uses that diagnosis. God uses the, the fact that you're considering divorce. It's not the will of God in your life, but God leverages it as pressure and release. It's, maybe you were bullied one too many times, or maybe you feel like you just can't take your job any longer. Maybe you feel like you're, you're just afraid because you don't know how you're going to be able to keep your house. And I'm just saying, like, God uses these trials and these pressures to apply and release, to, to give you some, some pressure in your life and to pull back so that you can grow. God is working in your life. Like, for Joseph, it looked like 13 years in prison. For Moses, it looked like 40 years in the wilderness twice. 
For Esther, it looked like Mordecai's gallows. For Daniel, it was uh, that his faithfulness to God landed him in a lion's den. For the Hebrew boys, it, it looked like their faithfulness to God landed them in a fiery furnace. For Noah, it was his world and everyone he knew flooded. For Paul, it was the moment he got saved, his life was turned around and all of his associations turned against him. For Jesus, it was being tempted by the devil three times in the wilderness while fasting and pursuing God. I'm just saying God uses this idea of pressure in our lives and release in our lives so that we can grow. If you thought getting saved was <clears throat> like I get, I get saved, I draw close to the Lord, and then, and that's what this is all about, is about me being saved. <laughs> then you fooled yourself. Because truly, the, the God of this age is self. And God's agenda isn't just for you. God's agenda is to actually provide gentleness in your life by pushing difficulty and then saying, my grace is sufficient. By allowing hardship and then saying, my mercy endures forever. And when he does this, he pulls out of us this gentleness that can be leveraged for the greatest purpose that God has purposed in your life. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it says this. As the band would come. Jesus talking to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Did you know that Satan has to ask? He's got to get permission. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen the brothers. He doesn't say, Simon, I've prayed for you that your problems would all stop. He doesn't say, Simon, I've prayed for you that your life would turn around and everything would be perfect. He said, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. I'm talking to somebody in the room today. You've just been wondering, how do I get out of this thing? How do I turn this around? And I'm saying, you know what? Most of the time, God's purpose is the perseverance. Because the perseverance allows you to be mature, complete, lacking nothing. God's not schizophrenic. He's a horse trainer, and you're the Mustang. His plan isn't to crush you and to take away your strength and your will and your freedom. His plan is only to temper you, to guide you, to make you leadable. So today as you as you look at those 
struggles. Or you look at those seasons where it felt like God was one way this day and one way this day. Know this, that he's a trainer and he had a plan all along. The plan looks like pressure and release throughout your walk with God. In fact, that's the way we build muscles, isn't it? Through constriction or contraction and stretching. Contract, stretch. It's how we build physical muscles. And it's how God builds our spiritual man or spiritual woman. It says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common. Are you struggling today? You tempted? That's common. No, Pastor, you don't know what I'm struggling with. It's common. There's lots of people dealing with the same thing. It's common. There's a lot of people dealing with the same thing you're dealing with. And God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Not a way out so you can avoid it. A way out so you can endure it. I wonder if there's anybody, after all that I just said, you're ready to be mature, complete, lacking nothing. Is there anybody that still wants to be mature, complete, lacking nothing? Why don't you stand with me all across the room? Come on, why don't we just go to the Lord? Lord, I ask right now that you would just give us a confidence in your plan. When we find ourselves running in circles, wide-eyed and afraid, Lord, I pray that you would, you would remind us that you have an agenda, you have a plan, and it's not to harm us, it's not to do us ill will, but it's a hope and a future that can only happen if we will surrender to your gentle touch. God, I pray for those right now that are walking through the pressure, and they're wondering if you're harsh and overbearing. Maybe your judgments aren't just. And I pray right now that we would just simply surrender to your agenda, to your plan. This world has its own agenda. Jesus, we choose to surrender to yours. God, I pray for those people right now that are just experiencing the grace of God. This is a wonderful season for them. They're, they feel like you, like you are constantly speaking to them drawing them closer I pray that even now that you'd encourage them that when the confrontation comes they would know it's you it's you pulling greatness out of them it's not you opposing them right now I pray for business owners that are, that are struggling even with this very concept right here Lord, I pray you'd give them divine grace to walk through a season of difficulty, not to get out of it, but to endure it, to persevere through it. 
I pray pray right now for the father and the mother that are dealing with the child. Lord, that you give them the mercy and the ability to persevere. I pray for the student right now whose parents are so difficult. God, that you would give this child grace to persevere so they could be mature, complete, lacking nothing. In Jesus' name. If you're in the house today, and for you, just this idea of turning to Jesus, that's the big idea for you. It's like, you're like, I don't even need the mature, complete, lacking nothing right now. I just need Jesus. And that's what you heard. Putting your eyes on him. If that's you, would you just kind of indicate to me that that you want to give your life to the Lord just so I know who I'm praying with? Is there anybody? Come on. I like the bold hands. I like bold hands. Come on. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray right now. And in the middle of our pressure, we're going to turn our eyes towards Jesus. Pray something like this. God, I've been running. I've been doing my own thing. And I'm sorry. In fact, when things get hard, I often look away from you. But right now, Lord, I I choose to turn towards you. I'm turning away from what I used to turn towards. And I'm turning towards you. I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. So right now, Jesus, say these words. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And I'll follow you every day I live. Come on, church family. This summer, yeah, we just had some people make the best decision of their lives. This summer, I want to encourage you not to think that every hardship is God off duty. That God is somehow not graceful just because he's got pressure. Instead, this summer, allow his work to make you mature, complete, lacking nothing. God bless you. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.